Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be looking at Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez statement about St. Damien of Molokai. Yeah, we're going to look at this statement and unpack it a little bit and why it's a ridiculous statement. We're also going to take a look at the heroic and saintly life of St. Damien of Molokai. I don't know about you guys, but I don't. who would you choose? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to take care of you or St. Damien of Molokai if you were a social exile? like a leper. I think I would choose a saint. All right, guys. Well, uh, it's good to be back in the studio with you all. Uh, really excited about this show. I love St. Damien of Molokai. It's a beautiful story of uh, selfless sacrifice. So looking forward to unpacking that with you guys today and bringing attention to his saintliness. Yeah. You know, I, wa I watched a, a movie a while back uh, on St. Damien of Molokai, and it really blew my mind. The type of charity, the type of love that he had for the people that he served— truly motivated by the Holy Spirit and the example of Jesus healing lepers. He truly is a remarkable human being, revered by the Hawaiians, revered by our country, and most importantly, revered by the universal church around the world and memorialized because his example truly reflects the love of Christ. And I have to give a big shout out to Father Michael Nixon. He's been on the show previously, Catholic in America from the Diocese of Tallahassee, Pensacola. And I know he only amplified my love for St. Damien in the seminary because it's one of his strongest patrons and examples. So big shout out to you, Father Mike. Yeah, Father, I've seen that movie too. And I think when we talked about the 10 or 15 best Catholic movies, that was included in our list. And uh, Molokai is just an amazing movie. If you haven't seen it, make sure you check it out. Um, I think it's even, it's even on YouTube free. I'll try to put a link below um, on, if you go to catholictalkshow.com and look at this episode's page, there'll be links on there so you could watch that full movie, which is absolutely incredible. And anything that we're talking about today, we'll put links on there and also links on how you can support us on Patreon. Big shout out to all of our Patreon supporters. Um, during all of this, you know, social distancing and remote episodes, we would not be able to do this episode, these episodes without your support. So really, thank you so much to our Patreon family. Really appreciate it. Big shout out and a lot of love from all of us. Yeah, truly. Yeah. Thank you. Now, yeah, so I, I want to, you know, we, we mentioned that uh, the state of Hawaii is um, obviously honors him immensely. Uh, but I'm wondering, like, how did his statue get into the Capitol building? That's pretty amazing that a, a saint statue would get there. I'm actually pretty proud of that. It's kind well, of interesting. There's also um, St. Hunapara Sarah in there, too. So every in the, in the United States Capitol building, for each state, there was two statues there to represent the people, history, and culture of those states in the Capitol building as a memorial, right? And that kind of brings us to, I guess, the heart of what we're talking about today. So there's been all this talk about statues, right? that, uh, you know, this statue needs to be taken down or this one or that one. And, and you know, our culture is really trying to reevaluate st what statues mean or whatever. It's all kind right. of ridiculous that if, but this was brought up because the, I, I want to say socialist, but ostensibly the Democratic Congresswoman from New York, uh, AOC, right, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she put out a video of her standing in front of the statue of St. Damien of Molokai, a martyr of charity who allowed himself to be in the most just extreme conditions and torturous death on behalf of the people of Molokai. And she stands in front of the statue and says, and here's part of the quote, even when we select figures to tell the stories of colonized places, which again, Hawaii is, you know, a colonized place. It is the colonizers and the settlers' stories who are told, and virtually no one else. Check out Hawaii's statue. It's not Queen uh, Liliokalani, the only queen region of Hawaii, who is immortalized and whose story is told. It is Father Damien, 
Now, she's saying that Father Damien uh, is a symbol of white supremacy. This is one of the stupidest statements I've ever heard from a congresswoman or of a congressperson. Yeah. Now, I don't want to sit here and litigate everything Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says. I mean, she's an accomplished human being. She ran for Congress, won, kind of upset. She's. I'm not going to get into all of her policies, which would, oh, goodness. But this statement, I want to evaluate the statement on its own outside of the context of her track record of kind of absurd statements. This is unbelievable and the gall that it takes to say that Father Damien is a symbol of white male patriarchal oppression is one of the, I, again, it's in, it's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard come out of the U.S. Capitol and the U.S. Capitol is a factory for stupidity, you know? Yeah. yeah. And you could, you could see from the Old Testament, you know, that there initially when lepers were treated and, and the authority on this is Leviticus chapter 13, when the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, listen to this, the man in whose skin or flesh shall arise a different color or a blister, or as it were something shining, that is a stroke of leprosy shall be brought to Aaron, the priest or any one of his sons. And if he see the leprosy in his skin and the hair turn white and the place where the leprosy appears lower than the skin and the rest of the flesh, it is the stroke of leprosy. And upon his judgment, he shall be separated. Now, this was a priestly function and the priest would evaluate the skin, and then there would be separation from, from the congregation. Because from that congregation, leprosy is highly contagious. But over a period of time, from those, that, that prescription of what needed to be done, it then started to take on forms of oppressive relationships to lepers, right? That, that you, you know, you deserve this, this is intergenerational sin, and we want nothing to do with lepers, lepers whatsoever. Jesus absolutely flips the script on how we treat lepers, right? And a good authoritative, uh, you know, context in the scriptures is Matthew chapter eight. And when he came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came. Now think about this: a leper that was completely ostracized, completely disassociated from community. Talk about oppressive is social injustice, right? So Jesus draws close to this leper as the leper was adoring Jesus, as the scripture says, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And Jesus stretching forth his hand, touched him saying, I will be made clean. And forthwith his leprosy was cleansed. Now we see the priestly function of Jesus as it relates to the social exile as it relates to the person who is unclean. Jesus literally touches the wound, which is unheard of in the practice of Judaism. Shocking for those people in time. Absolutely yeah. shocking, right? And that type of charity in the action of Jesus Christ, whom we worship and adore still today, in the same manner that the leper loves and adores the person of Jesus Christ, the church is still in that active worship and adoration of the person of Jesus because he shows us the priestly function of healing. And when you look at the person of St. Damien, as he's being upheld as an oppressor, well, if you're saying that he is an oppressor, you're saying that Jesus Christ is an oppressor because his actions truly reflect the person of Jesus Christ. Exactly what we just heard in the Gospel of Matthew. But we are living in a time of complete disorientation and disorder and chaos where good is being flipped on its head and called evil. And we need to start having serious conversations about what is being said in the public sector. And, you know, I'm definitely not a politician. I am in love with Jesus Christ and I want to serve him to whatever extent that I possibly can. But now seeing that the defacing of the movement of Jesus Christ in our country, what how our country was founded on Judeo-Christian values and morals is truly being defaced and being torn down right before our eyes. And it's time to do something. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and this is indicative of a, of a greater spasm against the values of the West. And you're right. This is a, this is an incredibly turbulent time. Um, but again, for a congresswoman to say that this man who, number one, this was not a colonialist. This was not somebody of power. 
This is somebody who divested himself of any power that he could possibly have and put him in the most vulnerable position. You know, if this congresswoman who wants to, you know, present herself as a protector of the vulnerable while tweeting about it, she's out here tweeting about it. He's out there ministering and dying from this disease. I don't know what I would rather, who would you rather have? Someone who has the bravery to send out a tweet, a numbskull tweet, or somebody who has the bravery to go out, spend 16 years on a leper colony and die from it. I know exactly who I would choose. Now, St. Damien wasn't even a colonizer. He was a priest. He was a member of the, uh, the Fathers of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and Mary. He volunteered to go there. This, he was he, not going there to establish a colony. He was going there to take these people who had been put into a quarantine. And we all know what quarantine feels like. But yeah. now imagine being in you know, the, the, the 19th century completely without supplies on a small peninsula segregated by a mountain with only people who are awaiting death. I mean, that is social justice, him going there. It's not social justice to say that it's a symbol of white supremacist patriarchy. Oh, goodness. I mean, absurd. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for even further, uh, you know, he left his quote unquote colonial well-to-do family, uh, gave up all these things that, you know, were, were afforded to him. Uh, as did his brother. I mean, I think one of the reasons why he went to Hawaii is because his brother was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wanted to serve in the remote regions of Hawaii. And he, he didn't even go there to, you know, be present to these people at this leper colony. He was there for a few years. I mean, he was like a really rugged guy. He, on the main island of Hawaii, would sometimes scale uh, rock cliffs to get to parishioners who were. Uh, you know, native Hawaiians who were, you know, really uh, difficult to get to. And when, you know, the doctors and, and people who were of authority in, in Hawaii decided to exile folks who had leprosy, it was a very difficult situation for a lot of people. Let's not like sugarcoat this. I mean, a lot of these people were ripped away from their families. You know, there was a lot of this that, you know, there's a lot of pain and suffering involved in it. You know, um, would I go so far as to say colonial? No, I mean, that's, that was typical. Lepers were typically removed from their uh, communities. And, and, and this community that was founded, he went there because some of his parishioners were being shipped off and he heard about the circumstances surrounding it and decided to go. And the bishop told him to go and stay as long as your devotion allows you to stay there. And he went and immediately in two years had built six churches, contracted leprosy, you know, was saying daily mass, hearing confessions. I mean, we've got pictures of some of these lepers who uh, were in white First Holy Communion dresses, you know, a beautiful, beautiful beautiful picture. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like as a priest whose heart is literally bound to the ministry of Jesus Christ in the church. Uh, This calling that he received was not just a calling for himself to go there, but it was a calling for him to bring Jesus to these people, to to stay with them, to be with them. And I think about all the people who are suffering. I think about, you know, the the passion that that Christ had for those who had no shepherd, right, in the gospel. You know, his heart was moved with pity, that the pity of Jesus Christ in this situation moved move St. Damien to encounter these people on this island and bring Christ to them. Nothing is wrong with that. I mean, you're talking thousands of people that were there. They were dumped off in a boat. They had to swim with supplies. You know, I mean, even to this day, there's eight to 16 people left in this colony who did not want to leave and reintegrate with society because of the community that they had there, you know? Mm -hmm. So, the impact that he had on this community still lasts today, even with the, the people who are left there, uh, so much so that they don't want to leave. They don't want to reintegrate with their grandchildren, with, you know, other folks who, um, you know, who they would quite naturally want to, you know, reassociate with. They want to die there. And it's a beautiful place. I've been there. Um, it's very stunning. Uh, you know, a lot of they had a tidal wave in 1946 that destroyed a lot of the structures that were there, a lot of the grave sites that were there. But I want to say there's about 5,000 to 8,000 people that are buried there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I look at it and I'm like, you know, as a Catholic, as a Christian, as somebody who, you know, experienced utter just abject poverty in my soul to have Christ reach out in so much mercy and so much love mm. and change my life, you know, that I can't imagine the poverty of these people that Christ was just renewing inside of them, their hearts, you know, and encountering them. It's just mind boggling to think that this particular guy's life was you just spent on colonialism. It just doesn't make it's any so, sense. It's so true, man. To think it for a moment that he is concerned about colonialism, to think what's motivating a man to go off to certain death is not yeah. colonialism. Yeah, he it's, died at 48. He died yeah, when he was 48, he 48 years old. He knew exactly what he was getting into. Right. He knew exactly what he was getting into. And, you know, talking about, you know, loved ones being ripped from their families. Think of these lepers being ripped from their families. That's happening now under the name of coronavirus. And I can't I can't visit my great aunt. You know, yeah. I can't I could barely visit your son in the hospital. I had to work all day to get into the hospital to visit Delacrosse's son yeah. because of coronavirus. So he wouldn't be alone as you guys yeah. were traveling here. You know, yeah. it, it's it's just absolutely shocking to me that you're going to to isolate this example of this great and virtuous example of what we have the capacity for in self-sacrifice mm-hmm. as a human being to love another person. It, it's it's mind boggling to me. And, you know, you're yeah. talking about the the immense amount of graves there. I wonder how many graves Damien dug himself. You know, right. quite a few. Quite a yeah, few. He did. He really did. I mean, here's this guy who went who went there with like three other people, right? And they were going to do a rotating basis of priestly ministry there. Yeah. And then the other three people split and left left to, you know, here are all these people. Think about that gospel passage that Delacrosse just shared with you from this past weekend. Jesus, after he loses his cousin, John the Baptist, who died, wants to withdraw by himself to spend time in a deserted place and pray. And all of these crowds, think about the poverty of the heart, all these crowds coming out to that deserted place. And Jesus turns and looks at them and was moved with pity because they were like sheep without a a shepherd. They were were so in need from that abject poverty that Delacroix just shared. That pity of Jesus is still with the priesthood today. Mm-hmm. You know, th- that's what motivates my priesthood. It's 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 not because I, w- I want to colonize anybody. No. <laughs> like, who do you I know, want to but see, here's the here's the thing. Mo- the, modern world, <laughs> the modern world looks at or the modern left world looks at the spread of Christianity, Christianity as a colonial spread of, frankly, white man's thought on people of color. That is so absurd, and that is, to me, that is the soft racism of low expectation that the left has so often for people outside of Western European descent, that these people are, in their mind, incapable of coming up and being confronted with a religious and belief system, and they're incapable of deciding it's worth or not. That right. is incredibly racist. That's saying that these people are un- unable to be able to make a decision on their own soul. And that right. is the thought of the left. And that is, to me, the most deeply and disgusting racist thing, that you are some kind of savior to these people who, are, who can't help themselves. There are great minds that have come from all of these areas and when confronted with the good news of the gospel by missionaries, considered it found it to be true with their ration and intellect, put it into their heart and changed their culture. That is the history of the path of the world of people. And to say that the only reason other people accept Christianity is because they were oppressed by white people is incredibly racist. You it's don't a sweeping generalization. It you is know. so I, I, stupid. I, I know I know that in my studies, I'm fascinated with Our Lady of Guadalupe, um, Mayan culture, Aztec culture. I mean, like I'm 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 just enthralled by it, as you guys know. 
And yes, man. I mean, yes, there were there are people that came over from the West that that were doing tremendous and awesome things. There was also people who through a separation of culture, uh, of of their own identity uh, against another's, uh, did not have the grace to love and charity. We all know that it happens today inside the church. We're always going to have this side of the church. It happens yeah, everywhere. That's inside human nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's but, human but nature. that's right. But the thing is, is like you know, to 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 take that human element of our society and and bring it out and then smear it all over a group of people. It's basically doing the same thing. The yeah. only way to achieve unity with people is through love, and and it's. Instead, you've got like identity politics that is used where, you know, you take an identity and you say they've been offended and then you project onto somebody. And of course, that's happened in our culture. I'm not like, you know, erasing that from our culture. Of course, it's happened. But the only way that you're going to bring justice is through love. That's it. You've got to bring it through love. It, it, it doesn't happen through oppression. Now, you brought up and something. So I look at Go ahead. Sorry. You brought up something interesting about identity politics, and that's kind of one of the games of AOC, right? That's one of her kind of things that she uses politically, um, and the left, and and you know the the hard left, the socialist left, the quasi socialist left that's yeah. developing in this country uses identity politics to put people in big groups, to which to me is again just. Look, to be able for her to stand in, in the United States Capitol and discount everything that this man did, everything that he served, all the suffering that he did because he was a white male, is incredibly racist. It's incredibly um, bigoted. Because, again, you're just saying because he's white and male, he's a sign of supremacy. You're not evaluating him on the content and character of his soul. Right. You're not evaluating him on the actions he took. You're just saying he's white and male, so he is an oppressor. That's not true. Again, this lumping white people together, number one, doesn't work. There is such a variety of white people. There is an incredible difference between a Portuguese white man and a Bulgarian white man. And to say white Europeans is, I'm sorry. That's like saying that... Everyone in Asia, that somebody from Cambodia is the same as somebody from Korea. They're not. But again, it's okay from this West, this leftist view to lump everybody who's white, male, and European into one homogenous group of oppressors and people who have violated human rights. And it needs to be said that that is not okay. And it is racist and bigoted, right? Everybody, man, woman, black, white, Asian, African, doesn't matter. Judge them on the content of their soul because that's the same way our Lord judges people. Not on anything besides what they do and how they love him. I just sent you a picture, um, if you can flip that over to Kyle. Uh, This is a picture in a, it looks appear like an NBA basketball game, Miami Heat. Um, And it it shows a couple of the black players kneeling and then a white player, player standing up with his hand on his heart. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it's obvious that these two, two black men are kneeling. We, we know why they're kneeling and it's a beautiful thing, right? Black lives do matter. All lives matter. The, the white guy with his hand on his heart, right? The, the, the white guy's got his hand on the black guy's shoulder. And then the two black guys are basically hugging his leg. And this to me is unity, right? It's like, look, we can all work together, we can all stand for what we believe, we can all kneel for what we believe and still be a family. You right. know, and I think I think if you want social change, it's not going to be pitting that white guy against that black guy. It's not going to be pitting people against each other. That just causes chaos and division, you know? And so this is just a very beautiful representation of what what unity and charity and love look like in the face of it, it in the sort of current picture that we're looking at today in our society, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah, you, we don't want, we don't want people to die senselessly. Uh, you know, we don't want people to, you know, uh, you know, look at another group of people and, and, 
and oppress them or hurt them. You know, nobody wants that. But at the same time, it's like now you're looking at a national anthem and there, it means something to somebody else. And those guys probably talk this out and probably shed some tears over it. I'm sure they you know. Did. I think so, I read about that, that. That was exactly what happened. They knew he was going to stand and they respected that. And he respected, respected it. Feeling, right. right. That's that's where our society that's where a, a lot of our society is today. You know, a lot of our society. I mean, I I got black people that work for me. You know, I've got uh, black friends, you know, and I'm not just like doing the black or white thing. I'm, I'm basically illustrating something that when you say there's colonialism, it's like, well, what what do you what do you mean? Right. I mean, I'm Italian. I have yeah, they're saying black. I have black people in my, in my lineage. I have black people in my lineage. Does that make me white? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, as a southern as a southern Italian, you're definitely going to have it. You know, it's in it's in my bloodline too. Yeah, but I mean, it doesn't matter. Jesus Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile. There is only those in Christ. You know, it's look culture and and lineage are important because they they inform our traditions, which are good. But it's got to get to the point where it's like, guys, the only thing that matters because I'm everyone, black, white. Yellow, red, everyone's going to die. Everyone. And they're all going to experience that same death. And the only thing that matters then is really what that life afterwards is. And that is life in Jesus Christ. And that life doesn't matter about your skin color or the food you eat or the texture of your hair or the accent that you use. Come on. I mean, our culture is so obsessed with this. It's because, and it's the media, man. Look, these media people know if you post something incendiary, you're going to get more clicks. And it's their job to get clicks so they can get yeah. more advertisers. I don't blame them. It's what they have to do to survive. But it is a untenable position to where the media has become so voracious to go after these you know, outlandish stories to be able to survive. Right? It's, the, it's the, their own fear. It's their own fear that that providing like doing a story on these guys and how this came about and promoting a culture of love in between differences right the the it's it's a fear it's a fear because they think that this is not going to bring in the 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 revenue or whatever it's their own fear right we have to we have to keep piling on top of people we have to keep with the dissension because this is what's drawing attention well it's it's drawing attention, but have you tried the other side of the, of the aisle for that? You know, like a good story about somebody loving another person and mm-hmm. how that how that can be pervade in our society. Yeah. No, I I don't like how you know the church is looped in to colonization efforts when it was national movements essentially, and the church attached to these movements had its own interests of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. A gospel that, by the way, expresses all lives matter. And when when uh, the first guy who actually stood up in the NBA, Jonathan Isaac from the Orlando Magic, I love I love what he said. He said, absolutely, I believe that Black Lives Matter. A lot went into my decision, and part of it's my thought that kneeling while wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt don't go hand in hand with supporting black lives. And so I felt like, just me personally, it's what I believe in, standing on a stance that I do believe that Black Lives Matter, but I just felt like it was a decision that I had to make. And I didn't feel like putting that shirt on went hand in hand with supporting Black Lives. I don't think that kneeling or putting on a T-shirt for me personally is the answer. I feel like for me, Black Lives are supported through the gospel. All lives are supported through the gospel. That we all have things that we do wrong, and sometimes it gets into a place of pointing fingers about which is wrong or which is worse. I feel like the Bible tells us we all fall short of God's glory. And at the end of the day, whoever will humble themselves and seek God and repent of their sins, that we could see it in a different light. See our mistakes and people's mistakes in a different light. See people's evil in a different light. And that it would help bring us closer together and get past anything that's on the surface that doesn't really deal with the hearts of men and women. That, my friends, is like a, a preacher. 
in a basketball outfit. And it makes me, as a, as a huge NBA fan, as a huge fan of basketball, former basketball player myself, it makes me want to watch NBA again. That, that one piece. I'm right. still not going to watch it. But, you know, that makes me want to watch again. And, you know, when it, when it comes to the church, and this is the thing, you know, that progress of the gospel has happened through every generation to reach out to impoverished people impoverished people, and doing so in a limited way by sinful humanity, adoring Jesus Christ and progressing. And when you look at where we are today, you can't look back and say, oh, look at these, you know, these people who colonized and now relate it to the church and say that the church is an oppressive institution. That, that's, for me, a very scary point, because you know, now we have statues of our saints being torn down. We have churches all over the world being defaced and burnt down. And at what point are, are the priests, which, you know, the, this has been happening in the Middle East for a long time. This has been happening in different pockets around the world. At what point are the priests drug out and burned or killed? It's happening. You know, when is it going to happen in America? Not too you long. Not too long. We keep on we keep on this in this path. This is exactly what's going to happen. But we have to realize what the church has been in the history of progress. We have to see the church as the one who instituted education among the masses. You have to remember that in the 16th century, among all people at large, there was a widespread illiteracy. Probably less than 5% of adults received education equivalent to a seven-year-old. So the church instituted educational efforts among people, among the poor, you know, and it's just we're constantly looped in you know, with I, these aggressive oppressors. And it, it just it's so upsetting to me. You know, I would yeah. even go so far as to say that the whole concept of the worth of the individual was found nowhere in the history of the world until Jesus Christ. Amen. Christianity. There was no thought that the value of a person outside the you know the rank of those in power mattered at all that's why it was so revolutionary yes i mean if you look at history and I, I love history i'm a fan of history i'm not a historian right but i read history voraciously you're an armchair historian which that's you which it. you yeah. i like that but the whole concept is that when you look at anything historically you don't hear anything about the rank and file people history is told by the people who are the leaders of the military people that's it when you look at the history of the Achaemenids or the Persians or the Egyptians or the Romans, it's the story of the rulers, never of the people. And, the, and for the first time in history, with the advent of Christianity, it became about the individual person mattering so much that God himself would become man, be crucified, and die for his salvation. Look, and like you said, that's who a taught that perfectly? Jesus Christ. And, and where does it really come to the forefront? That Jesus would touch a leper? That was so revolutionary. Yeah. And back to, back to St. Damien of Molokai. Think about that. Here's this guy that goes off to this leper colony. He bandages them. He washes them. He dug their graves. He built houses for them. He built a church for a community space for them to worship and adore the person of Jesus Christ. He built orphanages. He built coffins. He built a water system by himself. By himself. And he and we want to just tear tear down his statue and tear down his <sighs> effort and his work? Yeah, let's see Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez dig a grave or build a coffin or even do something. a leper. Find someone with Hansen's disease who's suffering and let's see if this Just go visit them. Would touch just go them. visit them. Visit them. Yes, Which just she, visit them. Go yeah. to Molokai. This is just a cheap example of trying to use identity politics to further your own political cause. And she should be better than that. We should expect better from our politicians. And there was this article in the National Catholic Reporter, which aged very poorly because there's like a couple days before she said this, where the National Catholic Reporter, which is... I wouldn't read it, but they said Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the future of the Catholic Church. Oh God! This is what people on the left believe. No. Now, you know, I, I don't. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, guys. I, I I follow people of action, right? I don't follow people fluffed up with words. Oh yeah, yeah. Show me 
right? That's why I follow Jesus Christ and I abide by his cross, right? I, I hold on to this cross every single day of my life. Every single day of my life, I hold on to my cross. And on the back of this cross, it says, Cruzada de amor a Jesus crucificado. The crusade of love of Jesus the crucified. I hold on to the cross because this shows me action. This shows me action. How far are you willing to go to show someone else love and their dignity and worth and their value? That is Jesus Christ. And I follow the followers of Jesus Christ who show me actions of love over their own sentiments, over them own, their selves, you know? And I do not pretend to be there. Mm. I, I hope and I pray and I wake up every day and I continue to strive after actions that reflect that type of sacrifice. I, when I sit there and I think about Molokai and St. Damien, do I have what it takes? I, one of those boys that went with him and said, hey, man, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm ready for all this. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't think I, I know my limitations. Did. I don't think I could do what I he did. I, I don't think I'd, I it's 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 incredible so, here, Kyle. I want to I want to show something that I thinks really telling. There's a picture here of St. Damien de Voister before he went to Molokai and ministered to these people and then what he looked like afterwards right this the the difference is startling and shocking right it shows what that kind of ministry and love does to a person mm -hmm. now i could only imagine after after her term 16 years in office what the difference in alexandria ocasio cortez is going to look like probably not too much she'll probably look a little bit older probably a little richer that's it and now, she'll be able to purchase with all those riches and, and lining her pockets right. with plenty of makeup and Botox and plastic surgery. Right. Which was not a luxury afforded to Father Damien. Sorry. Yeah, the lepers don't get that and St. Damien doesn't either. Right. So if you want to if you want to talk. Well, I almost swore. Don't trying, do it. Trying to work. Remember, there's children and families. Pretty, there is. There, there, there's a buddy true. of mine that I grew up with. Whenever somebody cursed, she'd say, Remember, there are little children in Richard around. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you did, if, but she wants to sit here and talk all this smack about St. Damien, when there's no way that this woman's doing this herself. She's sitting there on Twitter. She's a Twitter <laughs> activist. That doesn't mean anything to anyone. Talk You're not helping heads. people. You're getting more followers on your Twitter, getting more donations to your reelection fund so you can stay in office. While this man digging graves, contracting leprosy, served people for 16 years, died and was buried under a tree, buried under a tree in a pauper's grave full of leprosy. But Hansel, of nowhere. This is so not as I don't know. This whole, thing, this whole thing was just incredible and upsetting and just an example of the absurdity of modern politics and cultural, uh, I, I guess, Identity Wars. Uh, yeah. Bishop Barron had a great video. I was just going to say. It was great. I was just going to say, man. That was, that was awesome. Crazy and dangerous. Mm -hmm. It's a crazy and dangerous thing. It's crazy because it makes no sense logically, and it's dangerous because it's starting to take acts of love and sacrifice and turn them into something that is viewed as negative by her constituents as a form of oppression. That is the dangerous side of this. And when you keep allowing these types of statements to be said unchecked, the tendency and the trend will be to continue to have Catholicism viewed as an adversary. And it will continue to see churches burning down until they start, like you said, Father, burning down priests. And, and talk about oppressive and, and colonization by violence and fear. Well, you know, that's what we're going to get with socialism. Yeah. Plain oh, and simple. Is, uh, and and I, if you if you sit there and think that socialism is, is is in the equation for utopia and perfect peace and harmony, let's see how they get there. Let's see how yeah. they got there in the past. Doesn't it work. It doesn't work. Well, you know, and you can always hey, say socialism. Isaiah five twenty. Go ahead. What's that, right? Isaiah five five twenty says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet mm. for bitter? Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And that was, and that, and that was, you know, that that's the prophet Isaiah, probably after the exile, 
right? And, and you know, I mean, again, the human condition never changes, right? I mean, even, even Plato spoke of politicians uh, mm-hmm. in this regard, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're not, we're not doing anything new. I was driving to Colorado, it was like 15 hours with my kids, and I listened to this podcast of, of, of Rome, of the, the, the foundings of Rome and the plebes and the patricians and how, I mean, centuries, these guys were warring against each other in class warfare. I mean, it's just, Which you know, and there were periods, uh, I don't know, I'll send it to you. It's, um, it's pretty extensive. Uh, and it's, it goes, it, was it Dan Carlin? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, Dan Carlin, the, the the Fall of the Republic. It's a five-part podcast series. If you want to learn about the history of Rome, check that out. Dan Carlin's just awesome. You know, that scripture, Delacrosse, uh, begs the the insight of St. Augustine in the city of God. It says, two loves built these for themselves. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to say that the again. The city of the devil has arisen. Was I breaking up a little bit? Yeah, okay. yeah say that again. So this is from the city of God, St. Augustine. Two loves, he says, built these two cities for themselves. For the city of the devil has arisen from the love of self, growing even to the contempt of God. And the city of God, from the love of God, growing even to the contempt of self. It's very clear to see St. Damien living in the city of God because of that contempt of self. He places contempt over his own welfare to communicate the goodness, the image, the beautiful image of these children of God made in his image and likeness that suffer from leprosy, he's willing to contempt himself to communicate the gospel. Where the city of the devil has arisen from the love of self, growing even to the contempt of God. Right now there is a growing contempt for God. And it's evident all over the world. And there are voice boxes and Twitter handles and people communicating this to incite violence. And you know, I was I was asked, you know, why do you have why do you have an on-duty police officer uh, on on property? Well, because there are people inciting violence against the church. There was a, a vestibule area in a church that was firebombed with people inside of it in Ocala. That's right next door. So yeah. why? Because. of attacks on church, churches do not happen when a on-duty police officer is present. And on top of that, I come from a very large family of police officers, and I would be a police officer as well if I wasn't a priest. You know, it's like these are the times we're living in. We are a people of action, and we must do something. So I have a question for you guys that was presented to me by one of my parishioners. You know, he said, because I actually referenced that quote from St. Augustine, because this inspired St. Ignatius of Loyola's worldview. And St. Ignatius of Loyola was uh, previous Friday, his, uh, his memorial. So I, I kind of centered around that message for this past weekend's homily. But this guy came out and he said, Father, I just feel so helpless. I, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I see this stuff happening, but what do I do? So, you know, like that helplessness, feeling completely powerless, you know, so I, I ask you guys, you know, what what do you do? Like what what should you do? What should regular people do? They're seeing this happening. You know, what what do Catholics do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my first uh, answer is pr- is prayer. I mean, it without without prayer, we're cut off from the vine. We're cut off from a supernatural action. Right. That that uh, takes place through the work of the Lord. Right. So. Um, that's the, that's the first thing that, you know, I would tell somebody, um, the second thing is to, is, is to just love, like love the people around you. Um, one of the things I see in people right now that are void of love, good people who, uh, kind of, I I mean, they kind of look at the news too much, right? They look at their, their, if they were consumed with prayer in that way, they would have radiant joy Mm -hmm. and, and, and be able to face this with hope and, and love, right? Faith, hope, and love. Um, but, but I think a, another thing is, to, is I mean, I, I would dare say it's just to turn off the news, like get rid of it for like two weeks or Facebook or whatever, Twitter. Like, I, you know, I tell you, your life is so much better when you're not 
watching that stuff or looking at that stuff. You're not digesting it. It's poison, right? I mean, it's literally loving your neighbor. It's opening your doors up, you know, and, and welcoming people in. It's loving one at a time. It's you, a lot of people get caught up with, we got to do something about that. And they're pointing at that. And it's this production of poison that's just being disseminated to our culture and dividing it, right? I mean, turn it off. Look around you. Fill yourself up with God's love and be present to the people around you. You know, part of this is that there's this hysteria, you know, and and it's no good, man. I've, I've got friends who are doing so well in all this quarantine because they've just turned it off. They don't do social media anymore. I'm saying that as a guy who's putting his show on this stuff, right? <laughs> it's like, what are you looking at during the day? Just make an assessment of it, you mm -hmm. know? Well, if you go to catholictalkshow.com, you can subscribe to our email list and we'll send you every episode through email so you never have to go on social media again and still connect with us. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's just that's just my answer. Thank, dude, Delacross, just... thank you. Yeah, thank you for your answer, bro. Sheila, what are your what are your thoughts? I always go back to the example of our Lord and the Saints. And I don't think that in the face of this, I don't think anything, frankly, again, being a realist, I don't think anything is going to stop this trend. I think it's going to continue to get worse. And I think that you can only do what the saints and our Lord did. And this is the most passive, but also assertive move. And that's turning the other cheek. It really is. Now, a lot of people see turning the other cheek as this, this acquiescence to violence. It's not. It's strength in the face of violence. It's strength in the face of attacks. And it's allowing yourself to be attacked and turning the other cheek to then turn that condemnation back onto the person doing the striking. That is the example that shocked the world. That is the example that changed the course of human history in that a person can have personal dignity even when trying to be oppressed, even when trying to be silenced, when trying to be violently attacked. You know, someone hits you, you can start swinging back or you could try to avoid ever being hit. Neither of those are going to solve the situation we're in. It's going to be allowing yourself to be hit, turning that other cheek, and then turning that lens of that violence and that oppression and those thought crimes, you know, that modern society puts against the church and turning it back around on those people perpetrating them. And people will then see these are not people who are engaging in this. These are people who are standing against this peacefully and with, in a position of strength. Now, I know that's not a satisfying answer, but that's, I think, the only thing that historically has ever worked. It works in a peaceful, passive, um, resolute standing up to things with no Even, fear of the body, but then putting those other people in a position where they are condemned by their own actions. And that condemnation destroys their castle and allows the, new, the church to move there. Mm -hmm. Do you know, in response to what both of you said, I want to start with Delacross. One of the things that I pointed out in my homily was this is a time for prayer, fasting and almsgiving. Right. This is this is truly we need to abstain. We need to we need to fast. We need to give up drinking. We need to give up appeasing our flesh and utilizing the platform of fasting to enter into a deep form of prayer. And. We could sit there and think that prayer is a passive thing. Prayer is one of the most proactive things in the world. And when we look at the example of the saints, there's a great story of St. Faustina having this storm billowing up that was going to capitalize a lot of people's lives and a lot of people were going to die. And this came to her as a revelation. And she fasted and prayed and the storm was averted. I'm thinking of that now as there's a hurricane, you know, like a tropical storm off the coast of Florida right now. But, you know, the, the storm was averted, right? So fasting and prayer is very, very important. And I think turning the cheek is such a great insight. And I don't know if I've told you the story about when I, the first time that I actually was struck and I didn't fight back, like literally hit in the face. Um, did I ever tell you guys that story out there? Yeah, in Beach? And so my cousin came back from the war, Iraqi freedom. And he, and he was like, Richie, I'm, I'm back in town. I'd really like to see you. I'm up at Finnegan's. And I said to him, I'm like, Jay, bro, 
I said, I don't want to go up to Finnegan's. Every time I go up to Finnegan's, there's always a fight. And I, I really don't. I'm, I said, look, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm following him. I'm not trying to be in that environment, blah, 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 blah. So I hang up the phone. He calls me back. He's like, man, I, you know, I almost died, blah, 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 blah. You know, he's really laying it on heavy. So I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll come up there. So I, I drove up there. I leave Father Tetlow's house, by the way. Um, I was with Father Andy and Father Remick when they were seminarians. I was just a youth director at the time in Santa Maria and Flagler. And I, I drive up and I see this girl that I knew from high school, Wendy. And I roll down the window. I'm like, yo, Wendy, what's happening? She's like, oh, we're talking. And then there's a fight that breaks out right on the next block where Finnegan's is. And I'm like, I said, Wendy, this is so ridiculous. You know, like I was just telling my cousin every time I come up, (laughs) there's a fight. And she's like, I know, Richie, it's crazy. And I look and it's my cousin in the fight. And these three guys are jumping him. So so I'm like, God bless. I open up the door. I run up. I grab one guy off of him. I push the other guy back. I say, hey, fight's over. Go home. Fight's over. Guy runs up to me, cocks back and punches me in the head. And I swear to you to this day, I did not feel the punch at all. Like did not even feel it. And I drew close to his face and I looked deep in his eyes and I just said to him, the fight's over, go home. <laughs> and they split, one guy was grabbing a gun. It was, it was a crazy situation, right? Did you so, say Batman voice? Kate, fight's <laughs> over, go home. Fight's <laughs> so over. My, so my cousin jumps in this guy's car, they back up, hit a van, Sideswiped the whole thing and took off, hit and run. So I'm like, oh God bless. Like, Wait, yeah. and this whole thing again. again. Finnegan strikes again. So so I'm calling my cousin. I'm like, listen, man, just I know these guys come come over to me with me to the PD. We'll take care of it. We'll find out. Blah blah blah. So he, you know, he reasons, comes back. Um, you know, cop goes and finds the guy who owns the van at Finnegan's. Guy shows up waiting to see if he's gonna press charges, blah, blah, blah. So we're sitting there, dude, this is a, this is a crazy story. Guy gets out and he starts crying. This guy whose van, he, you know, the, who owned the van starts crying. He's like, Richard. And I said, yeah. And he's like, um, I'm from Santa Maria del Mar. I said, Oh really? He's like, can I talk to you? I'm like, of course. And then the cop was like, hey, do you want to press charge? He's like, I don't care about the van. Leave me alone. So my cousin was like, peace. He left. Everybody left. And me and this guy went back to the church. It was like 10, 11 o'clock at night and prayed till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. This guy was on a binge with drugs and alcohol. He left his wife, left his children. And, you know, we prayed the chaplet of divine mercy. And we spoke for hours in the chapel. And he was literally convulsing and sweating and he left that chapel, went back to his wife, went back to his children, started going back to church every single weekend. He's still with his family today. And that was like a pivotal, life-changing moment in his life. And that all came from the turning the other cheek mentality. And, and, and trust me, like rewind in my life, that would have never happened, right? Like that would have never, ever happened. But Jesus taught me that. So it's putting into practice what Jesus teaches. And Jesus has taught the saints and the saints actually respond, not just in words, but in actions. And that begins the transformation of the world. It is the most active thing you can do. And it's seemingly passive, but no, like it is proactive because you are, it's, it's defiance. It's, it's the most one of the most brilliant things ever can ever relate to human beings. The fact that th- passively taking a hit is the strongest act of defiance. It just look, it's again, people can kill your body, they but only you can kill your own soul, essentially, right? Yeah, and yeah. to go out and live with all this animus and hatred in your heart. And then to just sit there and fight back like, well, let's go stand around statues. When they show up, I got my shotgun. Come on, man. I see pictures of like people standing around a picture or a statue of Mary with their shotguns like, come and try to take our statue. <laughs> yeah, that's going to really spread Christianity. Come on. <laughs> that's, come on. No, you got to go there and stand in front of that statue. And when they hit you, say. Spit on you. They, hit, on they you. spit on you. Say, is that all you got? Come on. You're going to hit me? It's cool. Whatever. Again, it's not to passively take a beating, but it's yeah. to take that example of what they're doing and shine it right back in their face and change them. That's the only way things get changed. 
Yeah. Look, Jesus could have shot fireballs and laser beams from his eyes and exploded every Roman in a half a second. <laughs> Done, right? He didn't. Why? Because what he did changed the world. Yeah. What he changed the course of salvific history. It changed mm-hmm. everything. That is the church. And if we want to, if we want to be Catholics, we have to do what he did, not what our mm-hmm. instinct tells us to do. Yeah. Our instinct tells us to get our swords and go chop people's ears off. But that's the Peter in us, right? Mm-hmm. We got to have the Jesus in us that says, I'm going to change the world by sacrificing for the world. It's the only thing that's going to work. And you it, know? it and, has to start with prayer. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I, I, I look at like what St. Paul said about how we fight principalities, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, you kind of, you kind of deduce from that, that, you know, if we're fighting, if our true fight is, is against principalities, then those principalities set uh, not only evil into the hearts of man, but also confusion, fear, uh, addictions, things like that, that come from this, these principalities. And so like Rich, when you mentioned this, it's like, you know, this guy was being, you know, what what was a victim of these principalities and 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 through this encounter with something completely countercultural which is just to respond with that i feel like this sort of gateway opened up where he could receive christ you know mm-hmm. um and, 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 and forgiveness that's what father forgiveness that's why his too. statue is there that's why his yeah. statue is there because in the face of the hawaiian provisional government putting people there he went there and died with those people and, and the hawaiians love him they the honor- it's, a, it's a national holiday there i think it's october 11th so you know ryan you talked about prayer i think we can only pray that um representative uh alexandria ocasio cortez we pray for her to have intelligence and wisdom which often seems lacking with her and for good counsel we pray for all of our politicians who are lacking that apparently too often we, you know, we want to pray for all the people who are oppressed, that they have a St. Damien to be able to minister them, and that they, that minister be so great that he deserves a statue, or he or she deserves a statue as well. Again, we can't talk about the story of Molokai without uh, mentioning um, St. Mary Ann Cope. Uh, she was there too. Her and six sisters uh, were just as brave, but she didn't contract it. So again, there's, there's a female story there too, just as powerful as Father Damien's. So again, having those examples, but you know, again, this whole thing, absolutely absurd. And I, I like where this conversation went. I think this was, you know, brought a lot of tangents out, but, you know, um, good conversation, boys. Very, very good conversation. And talking about examples, you know, we have the examples of the saints. We have the perfect manifest example of the Son of God, who is perfection before us, do every amount of adoration. Now is the time for our example. What is the example we are going to set for our children, for our grandchildren? What are the values that we are going to put out into our community? How will we reach out to our neighbor who has an opposing view? How are we going to show love in a world that has chosen evil? How are we going to live out the city of God among the city of the devil, right? It is that countercultural movement of prayer, fasting, and turning the other cheek. And my brothers and sisters, Ryan Delacross, Ryan Shield, Father Rich Pagano, praying for you every single day. We have formed such a beautiful community with you online. We thank you for your support. Together as a community, following Jesus Christ, that movement is our only hope. And I'm not going to fear any type of virus. I'm not going to fear any type of political movement because I fear my soul you know, being crippled by the powers of this world and not enjoying eternal life. You know, I, that, that is the, the true fear of the Lord. That is the seventh gift of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that that seventh gift is given to you and it may direct your path, direct your actions and your proactivity in this time of need. To all of our patrons, we want to thank you again for your support financially. If you're considering becoming a financial supporter of the show, please go to patreon.com forward slash the Catholic Talk Show. Every way that you could support us is right there on that site, and we want to thank you for considering supporting the show. And to all of our followers on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, remember, keep comments charitable, be productive in your commentary, and let's build a sense of a marketplace of ideas, at least on our feeds, 
at least on our feeds. Be thoughtful, be mindful, and be charitable. And we'll see you next week. God bless. God bless.